everyone, welcome to Insta Podcast. Here on Insta Podcast, we inspire everyone to choose the food that brings the good, as well as dive into nutrition and dietetics to know more about it. I am Yvonne, the host of today's podcast, and also a dietetics student that currently studying in IMU from DM120 cohort. Hope you enjoy the time with me. As a kickstart of Insta Podcast, it is an honor to have Mr. Leonard Yap as our very first guest share about the career path based of a dietetics graduate. So in this episode, we're here to clear doubts and provide you more information of your future career. And hopefully you'll find this episode very helpful. And well, me myself as a dietetics student, I am really, really excited to know more about my future career and perhaps some interesting stories from Leonard. Just a brief introduction about Leonard. Leonard is my big, big senior. He graduated from IMU Dietetics with Nutrition Program in 2017. And well, he is really, really cool. He has been exploring a lot of opportunities after he graduated from IMU. Not only is he a chef and a dietitian primarily, he runs his own business and also works in LiveSmart as a commercials and partnership manager and senior dietitian. Sometimes he even had a lot of talks and workshops. FYI, he is also a member of MDA, Malaysian Dietitians Association. Wow, I really, really can't wait to see him. Without further ado, let's go. So, okay. Hello, Leonard. Nice to meet you. I'm Yvonne, the host of today's podcast. It's really, really wonderful to have you today with us. And I'm really happy to meet you in person, although it's still virtually. So first, would you like to introduce yourself to our dear listeners? Sure. Um, nice, nice to have you guys as well. Um, I'm Leonard. I graduated a long time ago in uh, 2017 from the batch of DN113, Dietetics with Nutrition. And I currently serve as a dietitian in my own practice, in my own consultancy. Um, I do a lot of F&B consultations. And I do also serve as um, a senior dietitian and also the commercials and partnerships manager of a healthcare startup for LiveSmart. Um, and yeah, that's mainly what I do these days. All right. So before we start, um, I'd like to have a, an ice-breaking session for you and the listeners. Would you like to go for it? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. So first question, I'm sure lots of us are really, really curious about this. So why do you have your IG username as Landy Tofu Dietitian? <laughs> so it, it changed quite a fair bit. It started with Leonard the Dietitian. Um, Lenny Tofu Dietitian was just a fun little twist because I was eating tofu. I think tofu is great and uh, just want to have a bit of fun. That's really it. Well, uh, I think it's very rare to hear someone that loves tofu because my friends usually... Treat me as a weirdo when I ordered tofu la. I don't know why. <laughs> you just hate tofu anyway. So uh, yeah. Tofu's great. There's, there's no debate about that. It's perfect. Yeah. Alright, so the next question, this one could be very interesting. Well, what's your MBTI? Oh, you mean the, the personality test uh, thing? Yeah, yeah. Right, so I've, I've done this test many, many times actually, and it always comes up with the same results. I'm, I'm always an architect. So in the recent one that I did was uh, INTJ-K. 
T. I N T J. Yeah, that's right. Wow, this could be very interesting. You might be very curious why I asked this question. Just a sneak peek for you and my listeners. We will have an episode that discuss about the MBTI that suits for being a dietitian and nutritionist. So you can check on that when the episode is out. So our dear listeners, if you are interested, do stay tuned for that. All right. So that's all for the ice breaking. Are you good, ready to go into our main topic today, the career pathways of dietetics graduates? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. So let's start off with your age studies and career I actually asked a lot of people this question including my juniors and I usually got a lot of interesting answers many kinds of answers so would you like to share why do you choose dietetics as your tertiary education um so it's actually quite a long story and in fact my story is quite weird actually so please bear in mind if you're listening to this this is not a reference um point that you should use but I um, long story short right so I was child obese and I kind of cooked my way out of obesity actually so I started making my own food and stuff like that back then you know you you had Jamie Oliver who was like running his the Naked Chef series back in the early 2000s Um, and yeah so I kind of cooked my way out of that and then as I progressed in life in, in high school in college I got very much into food and so I started wanting to do more in the restaurant world and stuff like that. And then that kind of led to a, a turning point or a crossroads, if you will, between food science and nutrition. Um, I went on with nutrition and dietetics was a lucky accident, if you will, because I at that time was already working um, on the side. And so to be honest with you, at that point of time, tertiary education made a very little sense to me. I was just doing it because I need a degree. Uh, and so I wanted to do the nutrition program. And then the person at, at, at the university um, told me, hey, look, we have this program that's four years long. It's one extra year and it's called dietetics, right? You should do it. Okay. And that was basically how I got into dietetics. I did not know I was going to go to the hospital until like year two or year three. And boy, was it a shocker, right? Uh, and, and that's how I got into my tertiary education program. It was more of a happy, lucky accident, I'm afraid. Mm, that's I think it's very magical for you like oh just this oh I just go into this and it's like more adventurous yeah not planning I think it's a great memories for you because um, not everyone will not everyone will experience something like that so yeah um actually many people think that dietitian is a very limited job right so can you tell us more about the common pathways as a dietitian for everybody to know more about it? Yeah. Right. So the, the common pathways are very traditional in the sense that, you know, for those who are listening who are not perhaps in the healthcare field, right? You know, um, dietetics is effectively a clinical nutritionist, right? And basically that means you actually have clinical experience just like any other clinician be it a doctor, dentist, or God knows what. Um, and you actually work in hospitals. And so from the hospitals itself, you can work as a clinician. So that's where you being a clinical dietitian comes into play, where you see all sorts of different cases, uh, more acute cases than anything else. And you you basically treat patients using food, right? Um, so anywhere as simple as 
well, this isn't simple, but diabetes management, for example, all the way to cancer management, post-operations procedures, um, enteral feeding or, or feeding through the nose, for example. Um, in certain countries, you also calculate the parental role nutrition or that's the nutrition through the veins, for example. Um, and that generally is done by a clinical dietitian. Within that same space in, in the hospital setting, you also have then food service dietitians because someone has to monitor and QC the food that's being served to the patients. And that's where, again, a dietitian comes into place whereby they work with chefs, they work with food service providers to ensure that meals are therapeutic based on the needs of the patient. So whether it be a kidney patient, a diabetic patient, heart failure patient, yada, yada, yada. And you kind of have to curate that accordingly. And the, the third more general uh, traditional pathway is to be in the community setting whereby you work at the other end of the spectrum of healthcare, more preventive, more primary. So for example, it could be, you know, running education campaigns, you know, um, to, to support healthy eating principles, healthy eating patterns, um, as well as, you know, working with, you know, a physician in primary care, if somebody has a weight loss issue, for example, that needs to be tackled before it progresses into full-blown type two diabetes and stuff like that. Um, the, I think the, the other one sector that you could consider as traditional or common is the academic sector. And so that's when you graduate from an undergraduate and then you proceed on to do your master's, your PhD, and you work in a university, an academic setting to do either clinical research or even industry-funded research as well. Mm, all right. Since you have mentioned about uh, clinical just now while doing some research about you, I saw you have done your final year in Apollo hospitals in Chennai, India, right? Um, what inspired you to do so? Maybe you can share about your experience there too. So I, I, I remember, you know, at year three, um, you know, I started enjoying dietetics quite a fair bit, being in hospitals, being in, doing research and stuff like that. I really enjoyed it. And so during semester breaks, I would go for placements like IGN or God knows where, right? And in IGN specifically, it was obviously where I met uh, at that point of time, Juan uh, Mary saw. And so that was when, you know, we became good contacts. And I, and I remember, you know, planning for external. I said, hey, look, I have this amount of money left. And I, I, went, I went to her and said, hey, look, I want to go to King's College London. I said, I want to go to King's College London's hospital. And I would like to do my external placement there. Could you please write me a recommendation letter? And so she said, no problem. And so two weeks later, she told me to meet her back at IMU, which was, you know, uh, she, where she was. And I, and I went there and she said, she passed me a letter. And she said, well, here you go. Here's your letter. And, but you're not going to London, you're going to India. And that is effectively how I went to India. So I went to India um, for a month. Um, There's a lot of ups and downs. But yeah, that's how I went to India. So, yeah, how do you feel like um, in clinical settings? Would you like to share about clinical settings, perhaps for the fresh graduates, they can imagine how does the clinical settings work like? Okay, so it really depends uh, on a lot of factors. Uh, are you in government? Are you in private? Are you in Malaysia? Are you outside of Malaysia? Da, 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 right. So depending on the country you're in and how mature the dietetics and the healthcare environment has been, really changes how you feel like, right? But let's talk about Malaysia for, for, for starters. The government setting is a bit more intensive. It's a bit more rushed because there's just so many patients and there's so little resources. And so it's about you being efficient 
And that sometimes means not providing the best quality of care possible. You don't have the luxury of time, right? But it's uh, in, in the hospital as a clinical dietitian, it's very much um, you know, doing ward rounds, getting patient referrals, seeing the patient, checking on them, following up on them. And you know, really being on this journey with patients from when they first got admitted, they got referred to you. In some hospitals, they don't need to get referred to you, but most hospitals do need a referral. And then they kind of like walk through with you this entire process with their treatments that's being prescribed by the doctors and whatnot, right? And you kind of follow through them with the recommended nutritional therapies as well. Um, and you are not doing, I mean, in an ideal world, you're not doing just five patients a day, you're doing 10, 20 patients a day or more sometimes. And that's what we call that. Essentially what I've just described to you is the inpatient setting. Um, and that's also the outpatient setting, right? So these are the most common two that you will find. And the outpatient setting is where you basically have a consultation, just like what we're doing right now. And you're just chatting out with a patient who perhaps once was either in the inpatient setting got discharged and now it's coming back for a follow-up. Um, or you have patients who are electively wanting to see you, maybe because it's weight loss, maybe their children aren't growing accordingly and they got referred by a pediatrist uh, to, to see you. Um, and, and so those are the main two ones, the inpatient and outpatient, right? In the private care setting, it's a slightly bit more different. You still have the same mechanisms, obviously less volume, but the stakes are a bit higher because you are generally handling patients who are paying for your services. And so there's a bit more customer experience and customer user experience that you have to consider when providing your care. Um, that, you know, from, from a clinical position, you have to be very mindful about how people feel when you give them or suggest a treatment as opposed to government whereby this is my treatment, you take it or you leave it, right? Um, now, so in the private care, I think it's a bit more um, curated. It's a bit more user patient centric than the government, cent government center. But that's the general clinical sentiment, right? You, you are a clinician, you're doing your ward rounds, you're seeing patients both in the wards or outside the wards. Um, across the board, that's about, that's about it, right? Um, how busy can it be? Very busy. You are reaching the hospital at 8 a.m. in the morning, getting ready, and you start your ward rounds, right? And then you, do your, you see your new cases. You have your multidisciplinary conversations with other pro providers, other doctors, other physicians, other specialists, uh, depending on which ward you're in. And you kind of discuss different treatment modalities for different individuals. And this one really boils down to how clinically competent you are. The more competent you are and the more well-versed you are with other clinicians' work, then you can have more discussions, more robust discussions, where you can actually go, hey, no, doctor, I actually think that's not the best decision. We can actually do this instead and da 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 da, -da. Um, and, 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 and then after that, you kind of do your follow-ups for the rest of the day. And then you call it a day, basically. So it's quite packed, actually. In a nutshell, that's how the clinical setting looks like. But uh, according to what you say, I feel like if I step into clinical, I probably learn a lot because I get to see lots of cases and get, get touch base, a lot of things. Yeah, I think it's a um, great workplace for me in future, perhaps. So, it depends though, because like the case variety varies from hospital to hospital. So for example, um, in, in Hospital Pulau Pinang, for example, right, up north, it's more cancer-centric. So you see a lot of cancer patients, right? And then for other hospitals, you may, it may be more uh, 
famous for transplants, for example. So you see post-transplant patients and stuff like that. So it really depends on which hospital you're at. And, you know, but you definitely, you know, by working with different physicians, different, different providers, you definitely get exposed if you want to, you know, different ways of working and different thought processes of other clinicians as well. Okay, so according to your LinkedIn profile, right, and you have just stated just now, you're currently working in Left Mind. Can you share with us, like, what is the day-to-day -day job scope like working in the digital health area and what does the digital dietitian actually do? Right, so perhaps let me give you two perspectives, right, because I, I serve as a, as a senior dietitian, but I also serve mainly as the commercials and partnership manager, right? So in, in all honesty, I only have about one day that I dedicate for clinical work. But let me just give you the perspective of a digital dietitian in general, because I started my career in another company where I went straight into digital healthcare as well. And so generally when you enter your day-to-day, your, your -day, you start your day, right? You first look at number of patients you have for the day, right? Who has booked you in um, and what kind of calendar events you have, right? So sometimes you'll be booked in for basically similar to what you would have in the outpatient setting, maybe five, six patients a day, and then you will have your miscellaneous tasks to do, right? So things like maybe you're creating an additional educational content that's either used to educate patients or used as kind of marketing collaterals as well. Um, you may be preparing events or talks, for example, content pieces and stuff like that. Um, in, in my general field of work since day one, I've always been kind of half and half. I've always been part dietitian, part marketing or part business management and stuff like that. So I've always had like one leg in doing other things like having discussions or having meetings with other stakeholders to discuss about ways on we can move the business forward. Um, so in, in a day, basically, I start my day with looking through my, my patient load. I then schedule my other events with other stakeholders, settle my patients, write out my patient's notes, prepare for the next day and call it the day from a pure clinical standpoint. Mm, so your job is like more to community and also you play a lot of roles at the same time. I feel like, yeah. So can you share with us how do you juggle between so many things at once? Yeah. That's, uh, that's a reason why I have no hair. <laughs> uh, but... I think, uh, so to kind of give a bit of perspective, right? So I have my, my traditional work, my nine to five, if you will, um, as a commercials and partnership manager, senior dietitian. Uh, I also have my own consultancy, which I run. That sometimes I do talks, I do webinars, I consult um, um, other people in the industry in terms of, especially with F&B. Um, so, in terms of juggling all of these different projects with my nine to five. So nine to five is nine to five, right? I, can't, I don't run away from that. My nine to five is always dedicated to my work. Um, and how you manage that is really, you know, scheduling things and being very intention, intentional with what you want to do with your time. So for example, you know, you would schedule things like, okay, you know what? These are all my meetings in the day. This one hour I'm going to spend on doing this particular task, this particular task at this hour and so on and so forth. 3 to 4 p.m. is maybe my break time where I have a snack or whatsoever. And so you kind of be very intentional with work and that helps process things very on, very fast. Um, personally, I also, what I do is at the start of the day, I actually, I don't, I don't like typing, I like writing. I have a piece of paper that, that I have in my bag at all times where I write down things I want to do every single day and I kind of cross them out as I go through the day, right? 
Um, for my personal work, um, obviously it happens after work. It work. It happens at night. It happens on the weeknights. It happens on the, on the weekends, and that kind of you know, you 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 do it because there are certain objectives you're trying to achieve, and you just learn how to co- to to compromise a little bit with you know traditional social time and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, if the reward is good enough, you just find a way to get it done. I guess. So I do agree how you plan your things. I found it very effectively because I have my own planner also, and I write down all the things, my schedule, my to do list. Yeah, that's how I keep myself very effective and everything's under control. I think you have run a lot of projects too, right? Would you like to share some of your projects that you're working on to our listeners? So. Some of the main things that I'm working on right now. So I'm actually in a new space where you're seeing me right now, um, and we're converting this space into a filming studio and a kitchen studio. So in the next six months or so, we'll be churning out content for my personal work. So for for the record, right, I I own a very small production house, and we basically produce very minimalistic style content for 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 clients. Um, be it for marketing purpose or whatnot, but we we basically have been doing content for for people, and I've always wanted to do content for myself properly, right? If if you notice some of my things, I do occasionally. I have one content piece here and one content piece there, but it was never cohesive, right? So we kind of want to spend a bit of time, money, resource into doing a proper content journey, and so in the next six months, we'll be using this space to churn out a lot of content that revolves around food, revolves around nutrition, obviously. Um, but mainly these two things: food, nutrition, recipes, kitchen works, kitchen reviews, nutritional tool reviews, and stuff like that. So that will be happening in the next uh, three to six months. Um, on top of that, there there are existing F and B projects that are ongoing. However, I can't disclose all of them. Um, there are certain, perhaps not the most dietetics related uh, projects that you that I undertake as well. So if there are certain um, I can't, I can't disclose all the brands, but there are certain, if you go to certain places to buy boba, or to buy fried chicken or Korean fried chicken, you might see a particular cookie, for example. So I do work with brands, with partners like that, and we develop uh, recipes for those cookies, for example. Um, we also work with uh, both large and small scale producers for recipe procure- procurement. So maybe, for example, they want a particular cookie that is going to be incorporated into the ice cream, for example, right? And they need a cookie that has um, very low hygroscopicity whereby it doesn't absorb a lot of moisture so that it retains its crunch when you put it into the ice cream and stuff like that. So we actually work um, on developing those kind of re- developing the kind of recipes as well. And um, I think those are the two, two main projects I can disclose. The rest you kind of have to like wait and see and maybe if you pick it up, you pick it up. Uh, but yeah, those, those are some of my projects that, I, that, I've, that I've been undertaking at the moment. Yeah, I'm looking, really looking forward to your videos for the next six months. <laughs> I'll be the first one to view it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since you have been working like years already, did you meet any challenges in your career as a community dietitian? Plenty. Um, <laughs> how long do you have? Um, <laughs> so like... Um, I think for many of us, when we first start out, right, we kind of want to feel like we are the expert, we are relevant, you know? And, and I remember back in HTJ days, 
HDJ is hospital to Uncle Jaffa in Seremban, where many of you will do your final year placements. Um, and I remember trying to look as old as I can so that people would actually listen to me. And I succeeded in some way. Like there, there was actually a doctor that came up to me and thought I was actually a, a, the, the permanent dietitian there. Obviously, I'm not. But that was one of the biggest struggles, which was to put my step forward and develop reputation, develop branding, and to be able to have that confidence to actually um, provide care to people, right? The other thing that I think personally it was very challenging for me was I was never a very booky person, right? I love, um, and I think this, you can actually see this when, when, whenever I, I do workshops or trainings with students or whoever it may be, right? My style of expressing has always been more all over the place, a bit more dramatic, a bit more visual, right? And, and that's because I like the whole storytelling approach in terms of learning and education. Um, and that's also why, you know, personally, when it came to uh, my clinical learning years, it was very difficult for me for understanding MNT through a book. It was much more easier when I was there with the patient and learning as I go, right? But the problem with learning as you go is that you're slow in the sense that people know and memorize everything already and you're still trying to learn. So that was very difficult for me. Um, I, I remember, you know, the other things that was a bit more challenging for me as well was to understand the, the sentiment of communication between a traditional government setting versus a private care setting. So obviously I'm speaking English right now, but you know, when you go to the traditional government setting, you need to speak in Chinese, you need to speak in Malay. Um, I went to India and they wanted me to speak in Russian. Um, I don't speak Russian by the way, okay? Um, you know, and you know, depending on where you go, there are different dialects and stuff like that. And with different dialects comes different cultures and with cultures comes different ways of delivering information, right? So you may learn in motivational interview that you should ask and elicit a response. But in, in some real life settings, you know, for example, where I, where I was in, in Apollo in, in, in India, they were more autocratic in nature and they had this very hierarchical um, position whereby they would give advice. So doctors and physicians are of a certain level and patients are of a certain level, right? And so there's no such thing as open conversations. You, this is what you do. This is what you eat. You eat two toasts, nothing else. Don't eat Italy, you eat toast, and that sort of stuff, right? Um, so similarly, that was one of the biggest struggles I, I went through. Um, coming out, and I think this is very um, relevant to many people, which you know, is something that we are still struggling with. Money was a big issue in the sense that how do you generate enough value that people want to pay for your services? And not only just pay you, but pay you handsomely as well. Um, you don't want to be working 24-7 and then, you know, buying bread for dinner, right? You want to have a bit more. You want to have options and stuff like that. And so that was definitely one of the biggest objectives and biggest challenges in the first couple of years. And um, yeah, I think those, those were some of my challenges. And if you have time, I'll, I'll go on into like a whole list of challenges for you. But for the sake of time, I'll stop there. <laughs> so yeah, I think every job has their difficulties. It's the, it, it's how you overcome it and how you see things. Maybe these difficulties, these challenges is something that so you will have reward in time in future. So yeah, now let's go to the bright side. Are there any special memories and moments in your work life? Oh yeah, that, that's plentiful as well. I mean like uh I still have one patient from my clinic at Sehatan Days when I was doing community dietetics placement uh, that calls me almost every three months 
and says, how am I? And, and, and still catch up, catches up with me, right? They share with me, oh, what's my blood pressure reading right now? What's my cholesterol reading right now? And so cute, right? So this, this little nice little couple um, that stays in the Klang Valley. Uh, for this one, uh, I think more recently, you know, there were times uh, where we went through really intense struggles and challenges with my first job as well. Um, I, I started my first job handling a project where I, I single-handedly had to manage approximately about 100 patients on my own digitally. And it was a very high-stake project because it would um, it was basically a, a, a sort of a competition between different competitors or different providers for that particular company to get, to, to, to get the deal and basically offer their services to the other um, users within that company. Right, so uh, it was very nice at the end when we actually succeeded to get the most results in terms of weight loss, reduction in HbA1c within that particular uh, population or sample size for our particular company back then um, that was you know handled and managed by myself. Um, you know we that project lasted I believe about five to six months long and it was like a you know a constant process of chatting with the patients, sending them reminders to say, hey look, have you weighed yourself? Have you have you done XYZ in terms of what I told you and stuff like that. Um, I think more recently, some things that are more interesting is, you know, I've been working with different students, different, different, different people from different backgrounds to get projects up. Um, so for example, certain students that just graduated not too long ago uh, from, from the date of this podcast uh, from IMU, um, some of them worked with me and some of them will work with me moving forward as well. And so it's really fun to see that growth that you know, I can contribute to. Um, yeah, I mean, those, those are a few things. And obviously, progression of where things are headed towards to and where um, my work is taking me to is also a, a very nice, interesting, bright. Really happy to see you getting things so much. And you're achi- you are achieving a lot of things that uh, dietitians and nutritionists that dream of. Like, yeah, our, our dream, our, yeah, our <laughs> imagination. Yeah. So, so as you're a person with so many heads, like not having just a nine to five job at Lipsmart, they're self-employed for many media projects and also master in culinary certification. So I'm sure you have a lot of things to share with us. So we have compiled some of the questions that we and the students are very, very interested in. So the first one, from your experience, what are the characteristics and skills that are important for us before stepping into a career? Okay. Um, so I think the first thing is you probably need to know what you want. And now that's easier said than done. So normally what I tell students is, well, if you don't know that, make sure you know what you don't want, right? If you know what you don't want, then you can kind of like reverse engineer and slowly discover what you want. Um, I think for me, you know, I, I've learned a lot by jumping into other sciences. So for the record, I'm a big fan of physics. I'm, I, I hated physics when I was in high school and college for the record. But as I graduated and I wanted a different perspective of science, physics was there for me and theoretical physics and understanding how the universe works and understanding how that transitions to nutrition was very insightful for me. And I think what I'm trying to get at here is that you need to have that sense of curiosity 
to always find out information, to always be willing to ask yourself, why and am I wrong? And be willing to say that, hey, look, I was wrong and I'm willing to, 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 to unlearn and relearn if I have to, right? And that's basically science, the whole principle of scientific learning. Um, and, and, and I think the, the, the other thing is, you know, for many people who are going to step into their career, this is, an, this is a very ugly truth, but it's an important truth. You will probably be, be abused in some way, right? In the sense that you'll probably be asked to do a lot of work, a lot of menial work sometimes. And there's obviously a debate for ethics on whether that should be the case or not. But putting that aside, I would highly encourage people to not be afraid of it and take it up with stride to, to kind of learn as much as you can, right? The truth is, you know, in your first couple of years, chances are you know less things than what you know, right? And it's in that two years whereby you kind of discover what you don't know. And in the third year, kind of pursue what you want to then know, something like that. And so be, don't be afraid of hard work. Don't be afraid of brutal, being brutally, uh, well, slogging to, 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 to achieve what you want. And I think it's, it's really important to keep the, the, the objective and the direction very clear. You know, if, if you come out and you are fixated or, or very clear that you want to be a clinical dietitian, then you kind of need to understand, you know, areas that you really want to excel in. How do you then subspecialize and, and so on and so forth. If your role is more similar to me, for example, which is to expand influence and options, then it's about how can I identify and nurture talents so that I can go beyond my limits and have multiple reach. So yeah, that's that's a bit long-winded, but in, in a nutshell, those three things. Mm. So yeah, there's a question that lots of students are very curious about this, including me myself, as our career is a healthcare professional at the end. So does GPA really matter when looking for a job? Absolutely, it does matter to some extent. Um, it doesn't matter so much after you land a job, right? Now, the thing is this, you don't want to go into a job interview with a GPA of 2.1, for example. It's a very arbitrary number, but basically you don't want to go into a, to a, to an opening with a really bad GPA. You want to have a, you don't need to aim for first class honors, although if you can, by all means, go ahead, you know, free PT, PT, and whatnot. But um, you probably want to have, you know, a realistic and somewhat, you know, comfortable GPA that at least portrays some form of academic coverage. Yeah. The rest of it really boils down to how you speak, how you communicate, how you present yourself, and what do you offer in return. At the end of the day, especially I feel in the Malaysian market, it's about capitalism, right? It's about um, what are employers getting in return for hiring you, right? And are you solving a problem that they currently have? And ideally for a price that's cheap so that they make more money, right? Um, and so how do you then angle yourself in a way from a healthcare perspective that shows that kind of value is going to be much more important once um, you've landed yourself through the door. But the GPA, a decent GPA is what lends you to that office. And then how you take, take things from that is definitely not related to your GPA anymore. Got to work harder. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of freshies ask this question as well. 
can you give us some tips when selecting a career pathway, like whether to go from clinical, sports, or community setting? How do we choose it? Is there any tips for them? And maybe you can share some resources for the fresh graduates to look for when they are looking for a job. So only a minority of you will actually know from the start that, oh, I want to be a clinical dietitian. And even if you do know, it's, you know, the, 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 certain, the certain thing about life is life is uncertain, right? And because of that, you may know what you want at first, but it's not to say that it won't change, right? You may change to something else completely later on. So in terms of helping yourself to identify I think it's about boiling down to what you want first and understanding the realism of what, what certain things are associated with what. So for example, if you want to be a clinical dietitian, but you also want to be a multimillionaire, they're saying, right? Chances are, if you stick to the traditional pathway, I don't think you'll get there, right? With a confidence interval of 95%, I don't think you'll hit multimillionaire status by the traditional pathway of a clinical dietitian alone, right? So then you kind of need to take a step back and say, hey, look, if I want to still be a clinical dietitian, but I still want money, for example, what can I then do to add more value to either do things on the side or to then change up the entire industry so that you can then have a wider reach and more value to offer to a much more bigger base of people. Um, the truth is you don't really know whether um, which field you want to go in until you have a bit of taste of all of them. And a lot of it will be based on realism in the sense that what kind of lifestyle do you want? You know, do you foresee yourself waking up at 5 a.m., going to the food service setting, getting ready for the morning shift, settling everything, going home by 4 p.m., for example? Or do you see yourself as someone that sees patients every single day, you know, come back home at quite late? Um, sometimes, in, depending on the hospital, if the, the doctor or the team you're in requests you to be on standby, you may have to be on standby as well. Um, you know, or do you see yourself in the community whereby you are reaching out with people who may not want your advice, by the way, but you are there because you know they need your advice. Um, and then from there, you kind of need to kind of extrapolate and see what kind of lifestyle does that offer me in return, right? And so if you want to be very realistic about it, you kind of then quickly realize that you either have to contribute more value or you kind of have to play around with areas beyond traditional dietetics. Um, some of you who are more results-oriented in terms of, and there's nothing wrong with this, in terms of money, for example, you may be very drawn towards going to the pharmaceutical line or, or sales line, for example. And as long as you're doing it in an ethical fashion, I don't see any problems with it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? So it boils down to what you want. Now, in terms of things to, to look out for when you're going for your first job, uh, I think be, be willing to be humble in the sense that you may be right, but chances are people will think you're wrong. And that's a very important thing, right? Until you have that really good platform to showcase yourself, you don't really have a lot of evidence going for you. Um, and so it's really important to build your evidence portfolio, so to speak, right? And create that experience to then be able to say confidently and postulate confidently to, 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 to make certain key remarks about how a company shifts and a company um, execute certain procedures and stuff like that um, so be very humble I think that's very important the other thing is also to look at companies from a perspective of not just getting the job but also understanding what you want to learn out of it the truth is most of us won't have the luxury of finding the, the dream job or the exact job that we want a lot of it will be based on what's available 
And as long as you're practical about it, and as long as you are able to identify what can you get out of it from a learning experience, chances are you're going to be on the winning side of things. Okay. But at the same token, be very careful when you know, companies are requesting you to, to represent them as a front-facing person to endorse certain products, for example. Um, the, those are generally very big red flags. Um, you don't want to be in a position whereby you go beyond science and start making claims about certain product growing hair out of nowhere, for example. Um, you, know, you want to be very careful about ethics um, because what you then say in front of a camera, for example, kind of like pains you as a reputation for years to come. So you want to be very, very careful about that. So um, perhaps you can share some of the resources for the fresh graduates to look for while looking for a job. Um, is there Ooh. a platform? Mm, let me think. I think the, the most basic and rudimentary one is, you know, keeping in touch with your lecturers, keeping in touch with, you know, the, the, the associations, for example. Um, those are very good places to start. Um, to have access to all the information and whatnot. If you can subscribe to journals, that would be also very, very powerful because especially if those of you who want to be in the clinical work field, right? You probably need to definitely um, be updated. There are a lot of different platforms um, on social media these days that also curates scientific uh, materials that are just recently released and you can subscribe to as well that kind of provides you all those updated information. Uh, what else? Let me think. Um, being engaged with the community of people that you want to be a part of is very important. So for example, and I'm advising this to myself right now, not just to everyone who's listening, right? If I want to be working with people who are MDs, CEOs of companies, for example, I probably should learn how to play golf and go and play golf with them. PSA, I have not learned how to play golf yet. Um, similarly, if you want to be a clinical dietitian, you probably want to hang out people who are clinical dietitians and kind of explore the conversations that they are having. Um, if you want to be part of a you know, larger picture in, in terms of hospital management and stuff like that, you probably want to be speaking to those people as well. So a very good rule of thumb is this, you know, people always want to know, you know, how do you make more money and stuff like that, right? You probably are, you know, how much money you make is probably the average of the five closest people you spend time with, all right? And so who you spend time with outside your family and friends um, really will dictate how your career will shift accordingly as well. And especially in Malaysia, where a lot of things based on context and who you know, um, it relevant, it's really, really re re very, very relevant. Um, I think that the other thing that might be very, very useful that I forgot to mention just now is to perhaps find a mentor, um, especially if you don't know where to get started, right? You know, having someone that has a bit of experience ahead of you to be able to then say, hey, look, I think you're doing a very stupid mistake here. I think you shouldn't do this uh, right in your face. <laughs> it's very, very useful. And uh, yeah, having, having that someone um, will definitely be, be very, very useful. But yeah, those are the few things. So um, would you like to share, um, like, is there any interesting pathway that we as a dietetics and nutrition graduate can venture into? Right. Um, there's a lot, actually. So I think the first thing, if you want to look into this perspective, right, you have to first and foremost be willing to recognize yourself as not just a dietitian. And I say this in the sense that sometimes being a dietitian can be very limiting, whereby, no, I have to do my MNT, I have to do this, I have to do that. And the moment you can kind of step away from that and just say, hey, look, I'm just an individual looking to explore new stuff, 
widens your horizons quite a fair bit. And so like in terms of new areas, right? Um, I was, I started my career in nutrigenetics. And so genetics is a huge thing. Um, if you look into the biotech side, where, where that is going to, from obviously directly to healthcare is one, um, you know, from, from cancer marketing testing, there are new technologies being developed whereby they use um, free floating DNA to, to indicate the level of progression of certain cancers, for example, that's very novel, very new, and it's not really out in the market yet. Um, there are you know, areas in the microbiome, for example, from an academic point of view as research to an execution point as well, whereby you are explaining and educating people about gut health, for example. Um, there are a lot of digital players now, um, not only here in Malaysia, but all over the world that sends test kits to people to not only do DNA testing, but they do their own blood tests, for example, um, to do their own screening, to provide uh, coaching sessions, education sessions, to, divide, to, to design and develop content products, because you still need a, a clinician's input on what kind of information should you put in a report, for example, or in a user page, for example. Um, there are places where it requires you know, a dietetic um, input, or a clinical input on, on certain matters of country operations, for example. Um, you know, in, in a more community setting, in the F&B world, as people are hopefully striving towards to becoming more healthy, right? You need dietitians and nutritionists to be there to give input in terms of how you design menus. They are not just nutritionally friendly, but actually make sense to chefs as well, which is a bit tricky. Um, you know, obviously, Going beyond that, you can also innovate on existing models, right? How can you further streamline the clinical processes in hospitals? How can you further streamline um, care in the community setting, for example? So there's a lot of room for innovation and it really depends on how creative and how innovative you are. Um, I think beyond that, again, you know, at the end of the day, right, if you can identify a need that's not fulfilled and you know how to think of a savvy way to address those needs, you potentially have a career there as well. Mm, all right. So since dietetics and nutrition are still considered as a relatively new healthcare professional in Malaysia, I would say. So do you think that our careers are more recognized compared to the past? Well, compared to the past, definitely. Um, there's, no, there's no two ways about that. But if you ask me personally, I think it needs to be more recognized. And I think this is the consensus of every other dietitian in the market or every other nutritionist in the market, right? Um, it's a bit difficult in the sense that, like I mentioned earlier, there's a very realistic, practical thing that you always have to balance, whereby you can't expect people to just be dietitians or nutritionists, but they're paid peanuts, for example, and they cannot sustain their life, right? People want to settle down, we want to have a family, blah, 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 right? So definitely recognition is there, but it's not enough. Um, and that definitely needs to have more things um, in place to, to kind of spearhead a bit more not only recognition, but also more value being poured into the market that people actually can, can, can see, identify, and then associate with a dietitian or a nutritionist. Um, but yeah, definitely it's not enough. Mm, hopefully we can make it more recognized in the future after I graduated, uh, or you can make it more recognized in the community since, yeah, you have the influence power, I believe. So one last question. I believe lots of students are quite worried about self-enhancement after their graduation. 
would you like to share how do you keep yourself enhancing and exploring more in terms like um, maybe hobbies, your career, or your professional knowledge? Right. Um, my secret to this is basically being willing to be a bumbling buffoon in front of people who are much smarter than you. And so if you're willing to throw yourself into a room of people who are much better than you, who are much smarter than you, and even be as, you know, as silent to just listen to what they are talking about and then making mental notes to go and research on it later on. That is one of my most profound ways of learning. Um, but yeah, definitely hanging out with people who are better than you helps a lot. Um, and being willing to just, you know, explore, uh, you know, areas that are way beyond your horizon, right? You know, I mentioned about physics just now, but it could be, it doesn't have to be physics, right? It could be advanced food chemistry for whatever reason. It could be anything for that matter. Um, but effectively, the, the whole idea here is progression, right? And we're not asking you to fly to the moon. Right? It's just asking you to, to say, hey, look, if, if what you really want is to progress, you probably need some form of a daily approach whereby you're getting new information, whether that be LinkedIn, Instagram, God knows what. Um, but the point here that I'm trying to make is you have to put yourself out there. And it's a, it's a very conscious approach of either hanging out with people that are better than you, hanging out with people who are way beyond your pay skill, way beyond your, your reach, for example, and finding your way in there. Uh, getting access to materials to study and read, you know, sometimes capo a little bit your ex-lecturers and see what they're doing, what's, what's happening in the university also helps as well. Uh, but yeah, definitely putting yourself out there. Um, for your profession knowledge-wise, do you like refer lots of websites or any resources that you would like to share to the freshies uh, <laughs> for them to look up? Right. I think uh, one that's really, really useful is uh, examine.com. Um, it, it's basically a, com a compilation of different research articles and evidences on certain topics. And so you can just type in PCOS, for example, and it shows you all the latest evidences, the summarized evidences, the links to the actual articles itself, all the different meta-analysis, all the different systematic reviews. Uh, and so that's really, really useful. Another one that's really, really good, um, any professional body, any professional dietetics body, um, like the, um, the, the NHS, the British, the BDA, for example, um, the, the Australian bodies, for example, um, those are all fantastic to, to, to refer to as well. And um, those are my main ones um, that I look at a day-to-day -day basis. I mentioned earlier as well in terms of journals, right? So you can subscribe to it. Okay, if you don't want to subscribe to journals, you can subscribe to Facebook groups that post updates on the journals. Um, so there are groups that will, will update, hey, look, Jama has this new research article on omega-3 fatty acids. And then you just like find a creative way to go and look for the article, right? I want to mention what on, 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 on record what the creative way is. Um, and, you know, those, those groups may also help you as well. Uh, but yeah, I think those are some, some good examples I can give straight away. Okay, so I feel like um, what you said just now is like, don't be shy to venture into something that you don't know. Just willing to try. Don't like afraid of failure. Yeah, that's yeah. very important. Willing right. to try and willing to be an to be an idiot in front of people. That's my secret. Yeah. So yeah, that's the end of the podcast meeting. So fast, it's time to say goodbye already. So.
before wrapping up the session, would you like to give some advice to the students and maybe share some of your life quotes for them? Ooh. <laughs> I, I, I think at the end of the day, it, it's, it's really a journey that you have only begun to start, right? It's, and in fact, I myself, I'm still rediscovering and, and discovering new things every single day. And so being flexible to understand that dietetics may be your starting point or nutrition may be your starting point, but not necessarily is your ending point. It could be a lot of different things. Um, it's very relieving to understand. Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, have a bit of fun with it. Don't be overly stressed out about it. You know, and at the same time, be curious to consider exploring things that are way above you and you'll be surprised where it ends you at the end of the day. All right. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, Leonard. And I hope that you have enjoyed the whole session with me. And My definitely, <laughs> definitely, I've learned a lot from you and you inspire me a lot. And yeah, gotta work harder to be the reliable dietitian for those who trusted me. And this is definitely a fruitful sharing session for our future dietitians and nutritionists, especially those who are graduating soon. So lastly, Leonard, would you like to share some of the contacts or social media account for us? Yeah. I think you already mentioned a few just now. So you can find me at uh, on Instagram at Lenny Tofu Dietitian. I'll just look for Leonard Yap, you'll find it as well. Uh, or just look for Leonard Yap Dietitian and you'll probably get it as well. I'm mainly active there, but I have to be honest, um, I'm a bit more quiet these days. So, But if you need to reach out, just drop me a message, drop me a DM. Um, I'm more than happy to see what we can do. In fact, especially if you know if you're freshly with ideas and you need um, either resources, funding, or whatever, and you're looking for some sort of support, by all means, reach out, and we can always have a conversation to see what we can do together as well. Okay, so once again, thank you, Leonard, for joining us, and hope to see you soon and stay safe. Bye. Thank you.